Wow. Church, that's what it looks like. With this worship team that was up here a few moments ago, that's what it looks like when people see and savor the glory of God. Wow, worship is fun. Knowing Christ is fun. Church, let me invite you to grab your Bibles and go to Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Today we're kicking off a brand new series called Simply Blessed. And we're going to have a couple of opportunities over the next five weeks to talk through five different elements of that word. Myself, along with Pastor Danny and Pastor Daniel and another guest speaker that will come a little later, um, are talking through five different elements of that word. Today we're going to talk through blessed life. What does it look like to have a blessed life through the lens of Scripture? Next week it'll be blessed home, then blessed church then bless nation, and then bless world. And the hope through this series is that we together, biblically, as the body of Christ, would recognize the source of that blessing, or rather, the truth of that blessing. Several years ago, a lot of you guys may know this about me, um, the, the previous church that I served at, um, I, I served as the missions pastor of this church, but at the same time, I worked for a hospice organization as a chaplain and spent my day driving around loving on the terminally ill. Day after day, I would go from one place to the next simply coming alongside people in some of the most difficult, hurtful, painful periods of their lives. And during that time, I would simply come alongside people and grieve with them, celebrate the joys of life with them, just simply listen to them, but at the same time, share truth with them. And oftentimes, these people would share truth with me. There were a lot of amazing conversations, thousands of them, that I had the privilege of, of having in my time while I was at this particular organization. There's one conversation that I remember that I'll never be able to forget, and I don't ever want to for the rest of my life. Now, I can't share too many details for privacy reasons, but what I can tell you will suffice for this morning. So I had the privilege of, of meeting this particular individual, and I found out real quickly that, that this man's body was completely overrun by a disease. His body was just ravaged by this particular disease. And then I found out that he was simply a few short days from, from passing away. One of the questions that I tried to get myself in the habit of asking in every conversation that I had was, how you doing? How you doing? And oftentimes you would get kind of a barrage of different answers. Sometimes when you ask somebody in that position, how you doing? Sometimes you kind of get that look that's like, do you, you know how I'm doing? Why would you ask me something like that? How, how are you? Why? I don't, I don't understand. But often you would get very truthful answers. And I remember one day walking into this gentleman's house, getting to know him, sharing life with him, grieving life with him, grieving his circumstances with him. And then finally I said, how you doing? And I kind of got that generic answer at first, oh, I'm okay, I'm doing well. And I guess I just kind of took a leap with that one and finally said, no, seriously, how are you doing? To which he finally replied, 
Jeffrey, my body is overrun by this disease. Jeffrey, my body is in pain all the time. That pain that's going through my body seems to be getting worse as the days go. Jeffrey, I, I can't even most days make it from my bed to my front door without hurting or having to ask somebody to come help me. Jeffrey, it's difficult for me to even have this conversation with you because I find myself, the more that I speak, I find myself struggling for air. And Jeffrey, I know that here in just a few, a few days, I'm going to pass away. But Jeffrey, you ask me how I'm feeling or how I'm doing. And then he responded in a way that I'll never forget. He said, Jeffrey, I'm doing great because I know Jesus is Lord and Savior of my life. Amen. Jeffrey, I'm doing great because I know I'm blessed because of Jesus. You see, far too often we look at the word blessed and we connect it to whatever circumstance that we're walking through in life. Oftentimes we look at our finances or our relationships or our, our status at work and how quickly we're climbing that corporate ladder and we use that circumstance to dictate just how blessed we are, to what degree we're blessed. But my friends, I submit to you today, according to Scripture, blessing is a whole lot different. Why? Because according to Scripture, blessing is not a circumstance, it's a person. And his name is Jesus. So again, go with me to Matthew 16, 13 through 17. And it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, oh, excuse me, let me back up. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Father, this is your word. You don't need me. Father, your word is power. But God, I'm so grateful that you have allowed me to speak your truth. Father, my prayer is, is simple, but yet, God, I ask this with, with boldness and desperation. God, would you speak? Because there is nothing that would come out of my mouth. No intellect or wisdom that would come out of my brain that has the power to change lives. But God, your word does. So God, my prayer is that you would speak. That your spirit would move with power and that your word would go forth, because then and only then we recognize that lives will be changed. God, we're desperate for you, and God, at the same time, we, we are expectant and how you're going to respond. We love you, God, and it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So what is true blessing? 
I find this passage really interesting. See, first Jesus speaks to Peter and says, who do they say that I am? And Peter goes on to give a list of of, of different people that, that the people of Caesarea Philippi are saying that Jesus is. But then Jesus hones the question in speaking to his disciples and says, but who do you say that I am? To which Peter speaks up on behalf of the disciples and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's an amazing claim, church. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Listen to how Jesus responds. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So why was Simon Peter blessed? Why was Simon Peter blessed? What does the text say? Because at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is what the text says. Like we were talking about a minute ago, the only thing that has authority is the word of God that you have sitting in front of you right now. Not what Jeffrey thinks, not what Jeffrey says, but what scripture says. So what does scripture say? Why did Jesus pronounce this blessing to Peter? Recognize that it wasn't because of anything that Simon Peter had to offer. Recognize that Jesus didn't announce this blessing by saying, blessed are you because you're skilled at teaching and preaching. Or blessed are you because you're better than so-and-so at X, Y, Z. Or blessed are you because you're the wisest person that I know. Or also recognize that Jesus didn't say, Peter, blessed are you because you're the best option that I have to build my church. It's also not because of Peter's circumstances. You see, often, even though we may not openly admit it, we believe that our being blessed is dictated by our circumstances. If things are going well in our lives, we're blessed. However, if our circumstances go south, we're somehow not so blessed. If we receive that dreaded diagnosis, that pink slip in our inbox, that criti critical comment, or so on and so forth, we believe that we are somehow less blessed than if we were, if things were going well. However, church, true blessing is not dictated by circumstances. True blessing is not dictated by anything that you have to offer. But rather, true blessing is knowing and being known by God. Point number one today, a truly blessed life is first and foremost marked by the revelation of Jesus as the Christ. Church, the true blessing. I'm going to go on and let the cat out of the bag now. The true blessing is Jesus. The true blessing is Jesus. Believer, if you know Christ, if you know the true biblical Jesus, count it joy. Why? Because you know the Savior of the universe. The true blessing is Jesus. See again with me, starting at verse 15. Jesus hones in that question and says, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Peter responds, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17, and Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, 
For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. Why was Peter blessed? Because he knew Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. There is not a blessing on earth or an event on earth that's greater than that truth. Blessing comes from knowing Jesus. The blessed life is marked by the revelation of the true biblical Jesus. Why is that a blessing? Why is that such a blessing? Because it takes an act of God. See what this says with me again in verse 17. And Jesus answered, and blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Why? For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This was not something that Peter conjured up in his own mind. Peter wasn't smart enough to conjure up the truth about who Jesus was. He he didn't rationalize this in his mind and figure out, okay, you must be the the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, I recognize that, 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 that there may be an element of that, but the ultimate source of that is a revelation of Jesus. It takes an act of God to reveal to a dead heart who the Son of God is. And that's what we see here. So what is flesh and blood? Flesh and blood is something that we see referenced multiple times through Scripture. And every time you find it to be a very human word. You find it to be limited. You find it to be finite. You find it to be natural. You also find out that flesh and blood don't reveal the Christ. See, if you back up to verses 13 through 14, when Jesus speaks and says, who do people say that I am? Again, we're we're broadening the scope here. Who do people say that I am? The response that Jesus gets is some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah and Jeremiah. And others say Jeremiah and others the prophet. You see what flesh and blood revealed here was some really great people. The problem was, they're not Jesus. You see, all the people in this list are some amazing people, and if you flip through the pages of Scripture, don't hear me say what I'm not. If you flip through the pages of Scripture, you find that these people did some amazing things for the, the church, you, you find that these people were used mightily for the kingdom of God. However, they're not Jesus. Jesus is not John the Baptist. Jesus is the greater John the Baptist. Jesus is not Elijah. Jesus is the greater Elijah. Jesus is not Jeremiah. Jesus is the greater Jeremiah. Jesus is not the prophet or just a prophet. He is the prophet. You see what happened there? It took an act of God for these people to recognize who Jesus really was. Again, blessing came from Peter's acknowledgement of Jesus as the Christ which was revealed by God himself. Church, again, if you know Jesus, if God's Spirit has revealed Jesus to you, you're blessed. You're blessed. Why? 
Because the Spirit of God has revealed His Son to you. So why is that a blessing? Why is it a blessing that God would reveal Jesus? First and foremost, because you get Jesus. It's a blessing when God reveals Jesus. Why? Because number one, you get Jesus. And everything else from that point is a byproduct from the main blessing that is knowing Jesus. Point number two, sort of point number two. You'll notice on the screen here in just a second, the, the points that I'm going to list from this point forward are, are, are listed as point 1A and point 1B. That's not by mistake, that's by design. Because point 1A and point 1B that you're going to see here in just a minute flow out of point 1 and they can't be divorced from point 1. The blessing is knowing Jesus. The blessing is the revelation of Jesus. Now, when Jesus is revealed, things change. As a result of point one, the revelation of Jesus as the Christ, we find an inward change. The blessing of the revelation of Jesus as the Christ results again in inward change. Verse 17 says, And Jesus answered him, again, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That, that simple, simple few words, and I tell you, you are Peter, carry so much theological significance. Why? Because just a little while ago, this was Simon. Now Jesus changes Peter's name. You're not Simon anymore, you're Peter. When you see that in Scripture, when you see Jesus giving someone a new name in Scripture, it is a picture of the new person. This person is no longer the old, but this person is now brand new. So that's what you see here with Peter. Peter is no longer somebody whose mind is dictated by flesh and blood, but rather Peter is someone who has seen and savored Jesus Christ. Therefore, he is completely and utterly changed. As a result of knowing Jesus, the heart of stone that we originally had as a result of the fall and the sin in our own lives is ripped from our chest and we're given a heart of flesh that has the ability to know God. Think about that, church. Because of the revelation of Jesus, we can know God. I pray that that thought would never become normal to Great Hills Baptist Church. I pray that we would always marvel at the fact that we, by grace alone, have the privilege of knowing the God of the universe. This is the same God, church, who holds the world in his hand. This is the same God who sustains all things. This is the same God who, when you woke up this morning, gave you breath in your lungs and kept your heart beating while you were asleep. This is the same God who spoke and the universe came pouring out. 
And as a result of the revelation of Jesus as Savior and Lord, we have the privilege of knowing that God. Praise God for the revelation of Jesus. It's also a blessing because we have a renewed fellowship with God. Because of the revelation of Jesus, our relationship that was once broken by sin, by our open rebellion to God, because of the revelation of Jesus, when we come to Jesus, when we submit to Jesus as Savior and Lord of our lives, that fellowship is renewed, church. Grab your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. I want to show you what I believe to be one of the most incredible passages in Scripture. I go back to this passage all the time to remind me of the gospel. Church, as, as followers of Christ, it doesn't matter if you're a new believer or if you're someone that's followed Christ for 60, 70 years, church, you never graduate from the gospel. There is never a point where we don't need the gospel. There's never a point where we don't desperately need the gospel. So this passage is one that I go back to all the time to remind me of my desperate need for the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Listen to the gravity and the weight of this. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and once you, once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Church, I've got to admit to you, I struggle with the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2. When I read through this passage, oftentimes I find the pride in my heart kicking in. And I look at that passage and I think, Paul, how dare you say that about me? Paul, how dare you say that there was a period in my life where I was dead in my trespasses and my sins? How dare you say that I was someone who followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. How are you, Paul, how, how dare you say that by my very nature, my sinful nature, I'm an object of God's wrath. The pride in my heart wants to look at a passage like that and think, Paul, I'm not that bad. My sin is not that bad. The problem is, yes, it is. The problem is, aside from Jesus, our sin is that bad. Church, recognize the gravity of Ephesians chapter 2. That before Christ, if we don't know Jesus, who, who is the blessing? If we don't recognize and know Jesus as Christ, the Son of the living God, We're still dead in our trespasses and sins. We still follow the course of this world. We still follow the prince of the 
power of the air. Do, do you know what that means, church? Because of our sin, this says that we're followers of Satan. Let that sink in for a minute. Our sin is that bad. Why? Because our sin is the thing that brought death to our hearts. Our sin is the thing that ripped us from the source of life and drove a wedge between us and God. Our sin is the thing that keeps us from knowing God, who is the very source and the only source of lasting satisfaction. Our sin is that bad, church. However, I bring you to my favorite two words in Scripture. I love these two words. But God. But God. The first three verses in Ephesians chapter 2 we find out the gravity and the weight and the depravity of our own sin. And then I give you verse 4 that says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. In who? In Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. In this not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are, creator, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Church, but God. But God. As believers, our lives are forever different. Why? But God. As a result of Jesus, or as a result of, of God's work, our lives are forever different. Do you see the contrast between these two sections of text? In one, it speaks of the depravity and the brokenness in our heart and the broken fellowship that we have with God. And then all of a sudden, just... It, a period, two words, comma, and then everything changes. And now we find that we're children of God. Now we find that we're reunited with God. Why? Because God intervened. How did God intervene? By revealing the true biblical Jesus. Jesus is the true blessing. By the revelation of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, we're reunited with God. But we also find satisfaction for our souls. Psalm 16, verse 11, says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because of Jesus, believer, unbeliever, when we come to Jesus, we can find satisfaction for our souls. C.S. Lewis said there's a God-shaped or God-sized vacuum in our hearts. It's a hole in our hearts that only God himself can, feel, to, can fill. But oftentimes we spend so much time in this world chasing after things that we would consider blessings. 
We chase after those things and come to find out when we finally catch that thing that it only satisfies us for a little while. Then we got to run a little bit further to find something else to satisfy. You can find this in every facet of our lives. And why is that? It's because Jesus is the only one that can satisfy. Jesus is the only one that can fill that God-sized hole in our hearts. Do you know what's interesting about Psalm chapter 1611? Again, let me read this to you. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know what's so significant about that? That portion that says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you know who's at God's right hand? Jesus. As a result of the blessing of the revelation of, the, of Jesus as Christ, we have pleasure forevermore. Pleasure that nothing in this world can ever even come close to matching. As a result of Jesus, we don't have to chase the things in this world anymore. Why? Because the object of our affection is found in Jesus. We don't need to chase things anymore because we have Jesus. Church, let me encourage you. Run to Jesus as the satisfaction of your soul. He is the only one that can bring that satisfaction. Point number three, or excuse me, Subpoint 1B, the blessing of the revelation of Jesus as the Christ results in outward motion. In verse 18, it says, and I tell you, you are Peter. On this rock, listen to this, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Church, one of the things that I try and do when I study Scripture, again, and I'll just be transparent with you, sometimes I find myself battling a pride problem. Sometimes I battle a pride problem, and I think, man, God, use me. Because I've got this to offer, I've got that to offer, or whatever. And that's something that I've got to be on my face before the Lord all the time praying, God, kill this sin problem, kill this pride problem in me. So one of the ways that I like to do that is I like to circle in Scripture when I study. I, I like to circle God's work, the way God works, the things that God does. And this week as I was studying, I was so struck by, yes, the great things that God decided through his spirit working in Peter, I was struck by the great things that God allowed Peter to do, that Peter did. However, the thing that stood out to me and that I circled, verse 18, I will build my church. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I love this. You see, oftentimes we can look at a passage like this and think, man, Peter is this great guy that went on to do some amazing things for the kingdom of God. And he did, don't hear me wrong. He did do some amazing things. Peter also fell on his face a lot. But God did use Peter to do amazing things for his kingdom, but it wasn't because of Peter. You see, Peter was the rock, but Peter was not the main point. 
Peter was not the main point of this passage. You see, oftentimes I'm convinced that when we read a passage like this, we we insert ourselves into a place that we don't belong. Or rather, we spend a lot of time getting to know the different characters in Scripture as we should. But oftentimes we make those characters or those particular people the main point when they're not the point. And as a result, we run the risk of missing the whole point altogether. If you'll remember, Peter Peter was just Simon until God revealed his son as the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember, the blessing is God's doing. And again, verse 18, on this rock, I will build my church. What that's emphasizing is the fact that God will build his church. He's going to use Peter to do it, but God will build his church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Recognize once again that God has chosen Peter to do this. However, he does this because of God. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. The reason that Peter has this type of authority is because God, before the foundations of the earth, had that authority. This is so similar to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Listen to this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church, as a result of the revelation of Jesus Christ, you and I have the privilege of joining God in mission. But recognize, we don't go because of us. We go because of him. I love the brilliance of this passage and how this passage is bookended with two massive, massive statements. In the middle, we find the command, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. However, those verses are bookended by two others. At the start, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. At the end, it says, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We go because God has all authority already. We go because he's with us to the very end of the age. Back to Matthew 16. Notice that God allowed Peter to do great things for the kingdom of God. But these things were not because Peter was great but because God was great. Rather, because God is great. Several years ago, I went through one of the more difficult circumstances in my life. Through this circumstance, I think I learned the greatest lesson of my life. This period of my life, I I went through several weeks of what, what seemed to be just a deep kind of depression. At this particular period of my life, I had just graduated from seminary. I had just come back off the mission field where I was serving in East Asia. I had just 
recently taken my first church, be the student pastor at my first church. But all the while, Satan was filling my head with lies. And I was hearing, Jeffrey, you're not good enough. Jeffrey, you're not wise enough. Jeffrey, you're not holy enough. Jeffrey, you're never going to be holy enough to pastor a church. You're, not, you're never going to be wise enough. Jeffrey, you're never going to be enough. You're never going to be enough. You're never going to be enough. And here's the thing, church, I believed him. Why? Because my eyes were fixed on me. And I remember towards the end of this period, I went into my room and just fell on my, on my face in prayer and just remembered calling out to God, God, the enemy's telling me that I'm not enough. He's telling me that I'm not holy enough. He's telling me that I'm not wise enough. He's telling me that I'm not enough, that I'm not enough, that I'm not enough. And what I was expecting is God to just go full force, like wreak havoc all over the enemy, draw his sword out and just go to work. But through studying passages like Exodus chapter 3, Isaiah chapter 6, Revelation chapter 4, Joshua chapter 1, multiple different places, here's the answer that I got. Jeffrey, he's telling you that you're not enough. He's telling you that you're not holy enough. He's telling you that you're not wise enough. He's telling you that you're not enough, that you're not enough, that you're not enough. Jeffrey, you're not, but I am. Praise God for that, church. Just like Peter here, because Jesus holds the keys. Because Jesus has the authority, we don't have to be enough. Because he is. Church, we don't go because we have something to offer we go because he has everything to offer. Praise God for that revelation of Jesus. Because of that revelation, we don't have to be enough. Because of that revelation, we don't have to attempt to appease God, which we could never do in our sinful state. But because of the revelation of Jesus, again, which is the true blessing, because Jesus is enough, that makes us enough in the eyes of God. Because of the true blessing that's the revelation of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, those of us that submit to him as Lord and Savior of our lives, because of that blessing, when God looks at us, he sees his Son and says they're righteous. Praise God for that blessing. See, God did use Peter to build his church. But only because Jesus is the master builder. Yes, God gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever he bound on earth was bound in heaven, and whatever he loosed on earth was loosed in heaven but it's only because Jesus owns the keys. In the same way, the church, the church will be used greatly. Why? Because Jesus is great. 
2,000 years later, nothing has changed. The church will be built and the gates of hell will not prevail. Why? Because Jesus is the master builder. Now, church, this is not, a, this is not a, an excuse to sit passively by or idly by and think, well, God will do this so I don't even have to move my feet. The church is the vehicle that God chose to advance his kingdom. We get to play a part in a story that's all about God. Though God is the master builder of his church, we get to go with him and play a part in the advancement of his kingdom. And listen to this. And we get to enjoy unhindered fellowship with him along the way. Church, the blessed life is Jesus. The blessed life is not dictated by the circumstance that you're walking through. In fact, the, the circumstance that you're walking through can very well be the catalyst to reveal the true blessing, which is Jesus. As you walk through those difficult circumstances, and I, I recognize that for what it is, church, there are people in this room that are walking through some very, very serious things. My friends, take heart. Why? Because through those circumstances, God is preparing to show you the greatness of his son like you may not have ever seen before. Jesus is the blessing. So what are the takeaways for the believer? This world has nothing that can satisfy like Jesus can. He is the true blessing that can satisfy your souls. To the believer, I encourage you, stop chasing after the wind. I understand how hard that is. I understand that there are things in this world that at face value look real pretty. I understand that there are things in this world that, that promise a lot, but once we get there, they deliver nothing. Believer, I would encourage you, I, I would plead with you, run to Jesus and see what he does. Run to Jesus and see what kind of satisfaction he brings to your soul that nothing in this world could ever, ever, ever provide. Also to the believer, if you're going to do anything great for the kingdom of God, we must run to Jesus who does in us and through us what we could never do on our own. This church, the body of Christ, needs people who relentlessly pursue Jesus. Why? Because he holds the keys. Because he has the authority. And because of the revelation of Jesus, we have that authority living inside of us, and we get to join him in the mission, in the story that's all about God. So as we go, church, as we, as the body of Christ, relentlessly pursue God, through prayer, through studying his word, through biblical community, through fasting, as we pursue God, then we get to enjoy walking in the victory of our salvation. Then we get to enjoy the true blessing that is Jesus. To the unbeliever, there's only one who can satisfy your soul. More power, more money, 
better health, healthier relationships will only satisfy temporarily. I recognize that because I've, pers- I've pursued some of those. Friends, I, I promise you those things will never satisfy. Once we get there, we're going to find ourselves chasing after the wind, wanting something else, and that vicious cycle continues through a lifetime. The only one that can satisfy your souls is Jesus. Because he is the blessing who can satisfy perfectly. Friends, if you don't know Jesus, why not? He is the blessing. The blessed life is marked by the revelation of Jesus. Friends, if you don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, I plead with you. Come to Jesus. Know him. Be known by him. And allow him to satisfy your souls. Again, Psalm 1611. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Why is that true? Because Jesus is the blessing. He is the blessed life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being a mighty God. Thank you for being the blessing. Father, the amazing thing is, is that you were the blessing before I even knew that I needed that. Father, you had a plan before I even knew that that I had a sin problem. God, I'm grateful for that. Father, my prayer today is that for the believer, we would relentlessly pursue Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I pray that through that, you would continue to work in our hearts to make us look more like your Son. So, Father, I pray that if, if there's anyone here, God, that simply needs to repent of something, God, that you would do that so that person would be able to walk in fellowship with you. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, because Jesus is the only source of true biblical blessing. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus, God, I plead with you. Father, would you move in power in their hearts because that revelation can only come from you. So God, I plead with you. Call them from death to life. Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for people. Father, because you deserve that. So God, please move with power. And Father, would you do what only you can? God, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of of knowing you and for the privilege of being a part of the body of Christ. We love you, God. But we love you and recognize that we love you only because you loved us first. And it's in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.